If you've got young children in your life, like I do, then chances are you probably spent the past weekend frantically dashing across town to get school shoes fitted, taking deep, calming breaths as you try to remove the bubbles from freshly contacted workbooks, or discovering a, a month-old ham sandwich at the bottom of last year's school bag. The 2024 school year kicks off this week, much to the relief of me and all parents listening, no doubt, who have been counting down the remaining days of the school holidays, somewhat like prisoners serving hard time. But for some families, this can be a time riddled with anxiety, especially if your child is refusing to walk through those school gates. Have you had to drag a child kicking and screaming to the classroom on the first day back? How did you convince them everything would be okay? And did the school support you? And were you sort of left to figure it all out on your own? Perhaps you've got memories of refusing to go to school yourself. 0418 is the text line. I'd love to hear from you if you've got some experience here, whether uh, you are a school refuser yourself or perhaps you've had school-aged children have that rising feeling of anxiety sort of opening up like an umbrella so you can't fit them in the car. It's a horrible feeling, both for parents and no doubt for children. 0418 uh, Kristen Douglas is the head of the Schools and Communities Program at Headspace. Welcome to you. Thanks, Andy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. When we're talking about school refusal, is that just the odd tantrum your child chucks when they're rightly or wrongly wanting a break from school? Or is it more of a long-term pattern? Because this term, I'll say this, school refusal seems like a, a more recent uh, naming of this, no doubt, long-standing phenomena. I, I think people are probably familiar with the school refusal term, but we've also probably recoined it as school avoidance or uh, can't get there as opposed to won't get there. Um and I think that's a really helpful reframe for parents because often it can be really frustrating when you think your child is just not wanting to go when actually if you reframe it and say they're struggling and they can't go, um, we soften a little bit towards what's happening. And, look, this has been a long-standing issue for schools all over our country but certainly internationally and, of course, COVID compounded and exacerbated this issue. At the very core of it is feeling overwhelmed and having big emotions or feelings that we can't regulate as a child or a young person. Uh, and these produce fear, they produce worry, and as you said, um, generalised anxiety is often at the base of what's happening for school refusal. I'm guessing bullying and perhaps peer pressure are one of the two major factors uh, that might uh, lead to school refusal, but there's lots of other ones. What, what other kinds of causes are there? There is, and often we won't know the origin of where the, the fear or the anxiety, the concern starts. It could be something really simple. Somebody teases your haircut and all of a sudden it snowballs weeks and months later into me not wanting to go to school. So it could be um, teasing, bullying, relationship breakdown, social issues. I could be avoiding tests. I could be avoiding um, experiencing failure. Or I might have neurodiversity or learning difficulties going on. Um, I may be experiencing adjustment issues in family breakdown. And in some ways, in some of the natural disaster areas that we've been working in, we've seen parent separation anxiety where young people don't want to leave mum and dad because they're worried that something might happen when they're at school. So there's a whole range of reasons. Again, we may never know the origin of where it starts, 
but it certainly snowballs over a period of time. I'm hearing some really, quite frankly, painful experiences for uh, parents, particularly on the text line, 0418 This text uh, goes to what you were just uh, referring to, which is, um, uh, it says, my son quietly refused to go to school after I had a stroke. It seemed stupid to him and nothing I could uh, do about it. I mean, and after such big life changes like a, a major health scare or ongoing effects that a stroke might have, you can understand why schooling might sort of slip off the priorities yep. for young people. In fact, a teacher has texted in as well and saying it's not just kids that have that fear of returning to school. I do as well as a teacher and have walked out of one or two schools after a holiday. In fact, a number of teachers walk out as well. Is, have you heard of this as well, uh, school refusal in, in teachers? Well, I think uh, if you transition that to generalised sort of anxiety concerns and people struggling to manage what's going on, people feeling panicky, um, getting worried and, and certainly not feeling like they can regulate their emotions. And that happens in all age. It happens in little kids, young people, and it happens in adults. Of course, we're seeing increased um, diagnoses of anxiety disorders, increased neurodiversity, increased issues around learning um, and disability. And I think all of these things play in. Uh, adults aren't immune to this. We all, you know, have a sense of worry. But on the continuum, this is more up the acute anxiety end. As a parent, I sort of think about this in the sense that if you allow it once or twice because they're having a rough time, then that will always be the go-to solution for any kind of problem. And look, we all have bad days, whether you're a young person or an adult, and school is, and, and frankly, work is never always going to be perfect. So at what point should parents start to be worried? I mean, is one or two days acceptable to deal with these sorts of issues or, 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 or is it more? When does the trigger sort of uh, come into effect? It's a good question, Andy. And I think if we come back to during our life and our development, we're going to experience distress. It's just human nature. We're going to experience distress. So it's really important that we teach kids early on about distress tolerance. And I think we talk a lot about resilience in this term, resilience. But actually the other thing, the flip side, the more important part is distress tolerance. So early in age and stage development, teaching them how to manage big emotions, how to talk about emotions, how to look for strategies um, and how to get through life sort of managing these excessive worries. The early warning signs that you might want to pay attention to is that starting to see disruption to wanting to show up. Um, you might see excessive worrying in your child or, or their language. They might be verbalising concerns about going to school. They might be showing signs of avoidance or distress like disrupted sleeping, you know, struggling to get out of bed, saying they don't want to go to school, teariness, crying. I think, you know, we've seen kids screaming in the car and people can't get them out of the car, as you said. Um, all of these early signs should be paid attention to. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to go into full blown school refusal, but nipping things in the bud, nipping concerns and worry in the bud will help them develop that toolkit for later in life. We know that some kids have trouble returning after holidays or extended breaks, um, and there's challenges around transition time, so prep or kinder into the grade, six to seven, and of course, we see from that 14 to 25 mental health concerns can emerge. And this is where we see diagnoses of neurodiversity, ADHD, uh, autism, all of those things start coming through during school age. So 
what we can do around that is look for ways to support kids and their emotions, managing their emotions, talking and communicating when it's calm because you can imagine the rage and the anger and the distress that happens in the morning when everyone's trying to get ready, as you were saying before. Mm. Um, listen and acknowledge feelings um, and don't dismiss their feelings. While we have the ability to take perspective as a 40, 50, how old the old adult, you know, when you're 5 and 10 and 15, you struggle to take that perspective about the fact that this is a little issue. So talking about some of the underlying issues, talking about the worries, but number one is reach out to the school. When you start to notice concerns, reach out to the school Ask for a meeting with the wellbeing coordinator, the year level coordinator, the teacher. Tell them about your worries. Tell them the patterns. And hopefully with the school, formulate a plan and be flexible around getting your child to school. It's 24 minutes past four as schools begin to go back around the country. Uh, we're talking about school avoidance or school refusal. Headspace, uh, as Kristen Douglas is here, we're talking uh, to her about some of the kind of practical ways you can overcome this sort of school refusal. Maybe you've had some success. What are your techniques? 0418 This text says, what about a kindergarten child from a normal, well-adjusted family? The child will sit unentertained for five hours in a car rather than go into the school. This person says the school is unsupportive. Uh, this text too, uh, Charles in Lismore, uh, says New South Wales schools resume next week. Our relief is not immediate. Uh, we have to, with saint-like patience, wait until Thursday, February 1st, after two pupil-free days. Wow, that's that's tough, I feel for you. <laughs> At such a long uh, end of a marathon summer, you're just uh, dying for that. I tell you what, one of the things that, and it might sound a little bit uh, old-timey, but one thing that really I found worked with my youngest daughter going back to daycare this year, whilst her older sister wasn't uh, back in school and on holidays, was getting her a new lunchbox and getting her a new pair of shoes because that really added to the expectation. Uh, she was proud of herself when she walked in. I mean, it's simple things like that mm -hmm. when you've got a sort of clearly irrational uh, sobbing child, those sort of preparations can sort of meet uh, that challenge on the day of going back to school head on. What other things can we do in preparation? I think what you just said is really, um, it's, a, it's a very powerful thing. So setting up routines, setting up predictable um, expectations of the evening, of the morning, creating little signs of hope and that I'm going to have joy and, and something positive is going to come about going to school. I had a friend recently tell me that um, for, for a whole year, they were having a really distressing time with their son who was experiencing um, school refusal, had a diagnosis of autism. Working with the school, they changed the entrance into the school so the chaos of the playground wasn't the first thing that ah, he saw. That's clever. And in fact, coming, coming around the back through the gym, coming into the classroom, helping the teacher unpack the chairs was the first five minutes that he needed. It was calm and it wasn't chaos. And I think there's lots of different things you can try and often it's talking with the teacher, talking with the school, um, and it's little bit by little bit. And if something's not working, reassessing, trying something different. And, of course, when things are getting more acute, and I would typically say one to two weeks you should be nipping things in the bud or you're going to require intervention, is getting professional support. Um, and you can't do that in absence of having a conversation with the school either. 
So typically, you're hopefully looking for somebody who's got CBT experience. Um, they might say on their website, whether it's a, a private clinician or somebody attached to the school, that they've worked with school refusal before. They set goals and rewards and they set up a plan with you as the parents and a plan involving the child. And that's when you're getting to the point where you need professional intervention. It would be remiss of us not to include the mental health of parents in all of this, to see your Mm. child distressed and um, we know the value that parents put on education uh, even from an early age. So what about parents? I mean, how can we better look after our mental health and wellbeing during this sort of disrupted school avoidant kind of time? Well, no surprise. I mean, through recent Royal Commissions and there was a Senate inquiry last year into school refusal, um, this came through. The the mental health and the toll on parents and families was probably one of the most explored things and there was a lot of recommendations around support strategies. How do I seek connection to other parents experiencing this? So it can take a real toll um, emotionally. Financially, I think people taking time off work because their child can't get to school, um, you know, uh, having to deal with the distress of telling your boss that you can't yet again, I can't come in this morning because I'm trying to get my child to school. Like there's lots of things that play behind this for parents emotionally, financially. And of course, you worry about your child's future. The more weeks and months that they're away from school, you start to see the absolute impact. So I think this is really hard for parents and anyone with lived experience. There's some fantastic websites. There's some great um, fact sheets and information online. But connecting with others who've had a similar experience, sharing those strategies, as I said, really powerful, but doesn't take away the fact that this could happen in any family. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Great advice. Head of schools and communities at Headspace, Kristen Douglas, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Andy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.